Welcome to the Spring Legion Podcast, powered by Rolling Thunder's hand-tuned turkey calls and light boots, the lightest 16-inch waterproof boot on the market today. Whether it be through apparel found at springlegion.com, content on any of our social media outlets, or right here on the Spring Legion Podcast, our mission is simple. Provide a higher standard for turkey hunting in the outdoor way of life. Thanks for joining us. Now let's hop into this week's episode. What's up, guys? This is Chase Ferrier here. Um, Wanted to give a few updates before we jumped on the episode today. First off, we have the Bottomland Richardson 112s. They are back in stock and on the website at springlegion.com. Still have some of the vintage tees available. Also have some new decals over there, Um, some different designs, all that stuff. So um, Today, Hunter and Seals are going to jump on the phone with the guys over at NWTF and really just cover a bunch of habitat questions they had and just kind of some other things that they have been studying and just try and hit every topic they can along the way. So we will jump into that with them now. Hello. Hey. Hi. You good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, today we're joined with uh, with some folks from the NWTF that uh, spent, uh, oh yeah, we have talked about that Osceola uh, hunt. I, I almost caught myself. I remember last time we talked, we couldn't talk about the hunt until the uh, the episode released, the turkey call, but it, I guess it has released. So, um, But yeah, we're with our buddy Pete and uh, Mark Hatfield of the NWTF. He's the director of conservation, and uh, we're going to kind of go over a few things. I know it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, for the off season, this is going to be, I'm not sure when this airs, but it should be around the time of the beginning of our second wave of episodes coming out. They're going to be a little more geared towards uh, off season projects. We've got a little bit of a categorical lineup, I guess, if that's even a word. Um, just going to kind of go month by month, hitting on some of the the more intensive topics for off season stuff when it comes to turkey hunting. And this is a grand way to kick things off with uh, the National Wild Turkey Federation and uh, and some knowledge coming from that side of things, on, not just organizationally, but also for the sake of habitat and stuff like that that we can be doing for the wild turkey. So um, with, um, I know Pete's been on here before, um, but if you want to do a quick uh, introduction, buddy, uh, just to kind of remind folks of who they will be listening to today, uh, Pete and Mark. Absolutely. Uh, Pete Mueller worked out of headquarters for the NWTF, and yeah, you guys are right. I think last time that, that I was on with you guys, we were we were on location in Florida, but we weren't really talking too much about the episode that we had recorded. Um, obviously, now that that is aired, um, we're able to find a little bit of success down there, but also just share in a great camp, and and I thought it was a great story to uh, that you guys were able to help share out just about your brand and the passion that you guys have for turkey hunting and your desire to, to kind of share, uh, to share that love through, through spring legion. So it, it was a great camp. I mean, we shared, shared good food, some, Man, some yeah. uh, difficult birds down there, but, uh, but, but we made it happen. Well, it's, um, I, 
I think back, I got the, the tail fan up here in the office right now. We finally got a little bit of time to, to go through and strobe borax everywhere on the floor, it seems like, all over the place, and got that swept up and uh, got a hold of some plaques and found an open weekend. I feel like that's my only two open days I've had since probably that day um, that we were down there in Florida um, and was able to put a few turkey fans on the walls and I wish I knew where the beers and spurs were, but they're somewhere probably in this office in a drawer or something where you'd least expect it. And um, but no, it was a fun time. I'm, I'm, I, I'm one of one of the funner times I've, I've probably had down there. And um, I'm glad Seals educated them all for uh, before I was able to even get a swing at them. But that's uh, Seals, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I, I left all my tail fans and beers and spurs in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's the top notch conservation right there. That's a con- that's a true conservationist. <laughs> I was just saving one for you. Well, that's much appreciated, buddy. And then could have saved me one in Alabama, but uh, we'll get into that another day. I had the opportunity; I missed it. So, but um, Mr. Hatfield, uh, if you would just give us a little bit of a, a quick bio on you and kind of what your role is with NWTF and you know, just where you're from and kind of your mission and kind of the, the piece of the pie, the whole organization that, that you kind of bring to the table. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for uh, having myself and Pete on. You know, we always enjoy these opportunities to sit down and talk turkey, um, whether it's from a turkey turkey camp and, and sharing stories or talking about, you know, the challenges that we face is making sure we, we continue to have these birds on the landscape to hunt. But, uh, Real quick about myself, uh, Mark Hatfield, uh, National Director of Conservation for the NWTF. Uh, I've been with this organization as a uh, staff person for right around 18 years. Uh, I've been a volunteer since I was 13 or 14 years old. So, I mean, I've had you know 30 years of engagement with NWTF, 30 years plus. And, um, you know, from a volunteer, I uh, grew up in Central Kentucky. Um, in right around bourbon country and went to school at Murray State University, which is in Western Kentucky for my undergraduate and graduate degree in wildlife biology. And uh, like I said, I've been with NWTF now for 18 years um, and really work with our biologists across the country uh, to make sure we're delivering on the mission, you know, the conservation of turkey and, and pres- preserving our hunting heritage. And that's, you know, primarily done right now through, you know, delivering conservation work on the ground, you know, impacting and improving acres, um, conducting research on wild turkeys to make sure that we're getting the best information in the hands of the decision makers and the management agencies, and then also working to, uh, you know, make sure we have hunters being created and in places to hunt. So a lot of fun, a lot of challenges, but again, we work with a lot of great partners, a lot of great members, volunteers. And, and, it's, and it's a lot of fun, but I cut my teeth turkey hunting when I was, you know, early teens um, on a family farm in Kentucky, and uh, it's a place we still turkey hunt, so it's uh, pretty special to be able to do that. Yeah, Kentucky's a, a beautiful place. Uh, I don't think I've gotten to, I've, Seals and I have both hunted, I mean, as close to the Kentucky line as you can get from the Tennessee side, and if, uh, if the other half of the, what we call a mountain from Mississippi 
it's probably just a foothill, but at the same time, with the other side of it and the Kentucky side of it, it looks as good as it did in the Tennessee side. I know it's some beautiful country up there in the Turkey Boys, and we've kind of seen it a lot through a, through a windshield passing through. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty place and one that I hope I'll be kind of being able to hop up there next spring, being in North Georgia now. It's not quite as a haul as it would have been from Mississippi, and I'll, I'll kick myself for not taking advantage of it this, uh, this past spring. Um, skipped out on Tennessee and Kentucky, flew out, uh, not flew over, drove over them to yep. um, Michigan towards the end of May for one last fix. But it was a, uh, it was kind of one of those things driving through it in the daylight and thinking, man, I, I, I really missed out on opportunity here because this is some some pretty country up here. But yeah, I plan to go back this spring and take my little boy. He's ten, and uh, hopefully, be able to fill a turkey on the family farm up there, sir. Thank you. But we got a few questions we're going to touch on um, when it comes to some of the states that the next projects will be going towards, uh, all the way from Texas, Mississippi, uh, yeah. you mentioned the Dakotas. Yeah, so that was uh, a little bit of the research that we're investing, you know, money into research, nearly $360,000 into the seven projects that covered those states um, that are, you know, working with state agencies, universities, um, you know, other nonprofits as well. And so, uh, you know, you couple that with our ability to leverage funds, you know, and that's something we're really proud of as an organization. And we can take a dollar raise and turn it into, you know, five, six, seven, eight dollars, you know, for to increase scale scope of projects. And, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, we, we, we try really hard to do. You know, we recognize that people give us their hard earned dollars. You know, and we owe it to them to make sure that we, we maximize that for the, the resource and for the conservation and, you know, the mission of the organization. So, you know, we've got projects that range in size and, and scale of, you know, a few pro- few acres here or there. Then we've got some that are, you know, impacting 50,000 acres over across, across the state of Mississippi working on prescribed burning on private land. You know, so it um, takes all shapes and sizes for us to be able to accomplish the mission of the organization. Awesome. I can I can remember wondering, you know, did these organizations help private land or is it only public land or, you know, regardless of, of the track size or the project size, is, is that even possible to uh, to receive help? How, how Not necessarily how you would go about, you know, getting some help on your land from some uh, organization as big as the NWTF, but, but is, that's the first I've heard that, um, you know, there is private land burning on behalf of the NWTF or at least have a, you know, kind of a stoking that fire yeah so we do do that you know but we do it you know what we do is we we invest into these uh, burn teams when we think about prescribed fire specifically and we invest and we provide resources for them cool. so they can you know purchase equipment or they can you know hire staff themselves and so we don't provide a lot of cost share out to individual landowners to do the work but what we do is we try to cre- create these opportunities for landowners to be a part of a co-op or to uh, be a benefit to benefit from, you know, burn teams on the landscape. Or we work with the uh, federal agency, uh, the Natural Resource Conservation Service, which is an arm of the USDA. And we have bio- foresters or biologists that go out and meet with landowners and provide recommendations on how to do the work or what work needs to be done. And so that's uh, that's an opportunity in some states as well. So 
again, it takes a lot of different shapes and sizes. Um, that's something our staff do really well is to find ways to engage uh, at the right scale and also to maximize, you know, the acres on the ground. Absolutely. And that's some, that's some, some very beneficial stuff for, you know, really just nationwide, but um, especially not in this, I think we're going to have a, a whole episode. We're going to try to get in touch with a few different, you know, those agencies that do burn on private land and stuff and go about that's, that's when we'll kind of go into the how to, you know, get a hold of somebody who could come out there and, and kind of give you some consultation, uh, you know, whether it be the actual, you know, equipment and stuff like that. But that's cool to know that some of the dollars that, you know, come from, say, mine and seals while it wind up all the way in, I don't know, uh, Virginia or, say, one of the Carolinas burning uh, a private track for somebody else, which is, I mean, I can't think of anything better for it to go towards. Um, I know they're all going towards the wild turkey. It's just cool to, to see that onion unfold and see how, you know, the, the long logistics $1 can go and what it really uh, supports and, and helps out. And um, But you mentioned one in our home state here in Mississippi. Um, are you all able to give too many details on that or is, is all the ones you've mentioned, are they ongoing or? Um, so the, the research project there in Mississippi is tied in with uh, Mississippi State University, um, Mississippi Department of Fish and Wildlife, and we're working with Dr. Mark McConnell and, Doc, and, and Mr. Adam Butler. Adam Butler is the turkey biologist there for Mississippi oh, yeah. um, State Agency. And, then, um, and so we're working with them on trying to create or develop new ways to uh, conduct um, population estimation. Uh, you know, uh, for Eastern wild turkeys. And so that's uh, a project that's going to be starting next year, um, you know, in, in cooperation with those guys. And, and again, we're just kind of funding from that standpoint to uh, to provide resources for them to help do the work. And so we're um, we're glad to be able to, to participate with that. But, you know, it's a pretty groundbreaking information of what they're trying to do because we need to get better population estimates across the country. So we can better manage wild turkeys. Oh, you're exactly right. And uh, Adam's a, a good guy and a turkey hunter, so I know he's going to have it, you know, organized. Yeah, he is a uh, turkey hunter. He he's one of those you can kind of ten minutes into a conversation, you know, he's a he's also the turkey guy, biology wise. I mean, uh, you know, organization wise, but he's also a turkey hunter, and um, he's a he's a super dude. And I think we're going to try to get him on and talk a little bit about that. And then um, the the biologist you mentioned. Um, from Mississippi State, there uh, we listened to them at a Wild Turkey Summit uh, that that Adam actually kind of headed up, um, and those are two pretty daggone knowledgeable folks right there that are kind of getting behind that. So I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing what the questions that they are going to be answering, if that makes any sense. And then you unfold the hows and the whys and all that stuff, and it's even cooler. But but um but that is that's that's cool to know where some dollars are going, and um I, I know that helps folks who do donate and who do buy memberships and stuff is a little bit of transparency and i know there's so much going on it's hard to just pick just one to to talk about um but i wanted to get into a little bit just in on the habitat side of things that could be improving their uh wild turkey populations on a, on a much smaller personal scale i think real yeah. quick before we real quick before we jump to that i just wanted to quick tag on that i know you guys have, have pushed this as well but mark makes a good point that obviously the better we can get counts on turkey population yeah. um 
you know, the, the, the better data that the state agencies have to work with to try to, you know, set, set hunting seasons and everything else. So, you know, now is the time that if you're seeing your state sending out poult surveys or you see us reminding people about, uh, you know, poult surveys and tur- turkey sightings that you're seeing in your area, please do take part in those. Also, you know, if, if your state does, doesn't require um, reporting of harvest, but they, they send you that volunteer survey at the end of the season, please take those because Absolutely. all of that uh, does does wonders because, again, it, it all goes back to having the most knowledge possible about uh, about the, the population to where they can best be managed. So um, as, yeah. as far as things that small – that can be done on small tracks. And I mean, this is one of the, the things that, that I've heard Mark say, and he'll, he'll probably, you know, uh, he'll probably end up hitting on it as well. But, you know, it's, um, you know, we, we always think about, you know, our small little hunting properties and, you know, we want to manage it for that food plot because we want to see that turkey come out there. And that's just, you know, the spot that we might want to hunt it. But if you manage your entire property for, multiple use to where the turkeys can use every bit of that property um then that allows them to have more place to spread out and you still may see them in that clover plot in the spring but it it allows them to have more places to go and that cuts down on the amount of places that that other predators have to go to look for you know or adds to it to where there's more places predators have to go to look which you know again means that it's it's harder to find the turkeys on any one given day. If you know that they're always showing up in the same spot every single day, uh, and if you've got it easy to pattern them, then, then it can be easy to pattern for, for all those oh, other yeah. predators that are out looking to eat turkeys. And honestly, that's, turkeys are a species that's made to be eaten. So, um, I mean, Mark will definitely go more in depth about some of the specific things because he's got the biology background. But um, I, I always just think that that's a great analogy that he makes. Yeah, so I think... Uh, you did a really good job, you know, from that standpoint. You know, I think if somebody came to me, you know, sat down next to me on a plane and said, hey, you know, we, you start talking and they find out what to do. They ask you questions about what they can do. And so um, the first thing is, is trying to look at, you know, what's your, what's your compositions of your property? You know, is it all forestry? Is it all open? And then you need to start figuring out what's the availability of that or, um accessibility of that for the wild turkey you know and if you have something that's highly you know these properties that's highly forested you probably need to start creating some diversity there to have some early successional habitat scattered throughout your piece of property you know and you want that you know if you put 10 percent of that in early successional habitat now define early successful habitat as you know an, an open field that's starting to have a couple, two or three years worth of growth on it, um, you know, starting to get the sumacs or the blackberries and, and maybe even uh, some persimmons that come into it, you know, kind of that shrubby, woody kind of uh, grassy areas. But you want to make sure that that's not all in one spot on your property, just like he said. So you want to start doing that. So unfortunately, it's not a one-size-fits-all. What do you need? What you need to do is look at what you have and then try to figure out what you need to create that's complementary to that. You know, you have something that's heavily forested, you probably need to go in and start creating some forested, you know, wildlife openings for that. Um, and then if you've got some, um, you know, more pasture land or more open land, you probably need to start building in some travel corridors. Um, you may want to look at your composition of what you're planting 
uh, maybe get some native grasses in there and some native forbs because the most important thing to produce turkeys is there's two of them. It's good nesting cover, having it available kind of throughout your, your piece of property. And then you have to have a good insect base because those poults and those young birds, man, they need insects and they need that energy. And if you can manage for insects to where, and you can manage for nesting cover that's available throughout your piece of property, you're going to have pretty successful turkey reproduction. So you say manage for insect base. That is probably the first I've heard. I mean, I've always known that, you know, that's a, crucial part but the fact i've never heard the word manage mentioned in the same sentence as that is there anything that you could elaborate on for you know just the listeners on how that i'm sure a lot of their ears perked up at that thinking you know that's a you know a term they've probably never heard but automatically makes a lot of sense you know when it comes to the energy provided through you know insects for for young turkeys and stuff stuff that they need you know uh, maximizing nutrition and all that good stuff which i'm, I'm not a wildlife dietitian but you know I, I feel like the more bugs you got the more turkeys you're gonna have yeah so think about it from this standpoint you know um if we had a um i'll use your yard for example a, a lawn that you're, you keep manicured it's, it's a it's a monoculture that you you know lawn mm-hmm. well you don't get a lot of insect diversity there but if you go in and you start managing for uh, warm season grasses, even cool season grasses on a native that are native, and you, you start having your black-eyed Susans, your coneflowers, your, your milkweed, your, your blackberries, and, I, and all of these things that are coming in and they're blooming at all different times, well, what comes along with that is insects. And you also create more seed diversity. And the seeds are, you know, there, they become available to turkey. But that was a good, I liked where that was going, yeah. kind of talking about, you know, the the natives. Um, when you say natives, kind of what you mean by that. Because that's something, I think that's becoming a, just from what I do see around, you know, the content world, a lot more folks are paying attention to what is native and what isn't and why that actually even matters. Um, and, you know, that's a really good point, listening to, you know, the different bloom times, creating different insects and stuff like that. So if you could just carry on with that, I was, I was jotting some notes down from that one. Yeah. So, uh, so the natives, you know, natives are, are really important. You think about, it, I really having a high functioning kind of little ecosystem or, or unit on your property or even in that immediate area. So what native grasses do and native forbs do for you from a landowner's perspective, the one they're pretty drought tolerant. Uh, they are fire maintained, which is typically cheaper than diesel fuel. You know, so you're not having to, to do this on an annual basis. But what it does also is, you know, when you think about fescue, um, fescue is, is a mat type of, of a grass. You know, there's no bare ground in between fescue. And when you think about natives and how it relates to turkey poults, turkey poults, have the ability to run from clump to clump in the um, native grass fields or these these native fields that have early, you know, warm season or cool season grasses. And so they're clump grasses. So then you have bare ground, you have ways and, and fire maintained fields, which then promotes more diversity within your forbs, your broadleaves and or your grasses. So, 
it provides a type of management that we typically don't have. So that's why I've been, that's why natives are important. Not because they just provide the seed and the cover that's adequate, but they provide for management that's very conducive to for the management of wild turkeys and other game birds such as quail. They're high in protein. They create a diversity of browse for wild for deer. Um, so it's um, really a good all-around approach to have that diversity on the landscape if, if you have the ability to do so on your property. Right. And so when you say, all right, so when I think of natives, I think obviously, you know, from there, born there, um, if, say, I guess, if you wipe out the natives, say if you go in and bush hog all kinds of stuff and clean up, you know, make your property, your track of land pretty, um, it, do they come back? Is it, you know, is it something you can um, reestablish if, if there's something that, you know, or anything that you think could be planted or where you might would want the the blackberry type stuff yeah. or the milkweed type stuff and you know, all the way down to the, the forbs and stuff like that? So um, the nice thing about native, native plants, and again, I also don't want to discount the value of having some annual food plots mm-hmm. and, and annual plots on your property. Because those are diversity as well. So you could start, you know, having some areas of your property where you're rotating in different annual plots, you know. But then you also want to have that native component somewhere on your property as well. But native seeds um, are very, very drought resistant. They're fire tolerant. And oftentimes they do need a to be scarified or have a disturbance factor that comes in. And that mm-hmm. can be done through disky. You know, that could be done through, you know, lighting a match and burning that area. And so over the course of that disturbance on on sequential years or every other year, you would continue to see more and more natives come back on that because the seed bank is in the soil. Cool. So just by introducing that disturbance back into those areas, oftentimes you will start to see natives come back. Yeah, that's, that's some good info right there. That's genuine stuff i didn't know it's not me stage questions asking stuff this is me getting curious in a conversation now which is awesome it's a good way to kick things off on you know off-season topics um because that's covering a lot of the and uh, some of those gonna be a little unnecessary now i'm like that going we already know it now but um if there's anything i wanted to ask this and we'll I, you know i don't want to keep y'all too long um but say so like i don't own necessarily any private land um i, I own like the acre my house is on and then i can you know, have permission to hunt a few places and then, you know, just between public land and, and, um, friends and stuff hunting at their place, you know, with them while they hunt and all that good stuff. Is, is there anything that someone who doesn't necessarily own, you know, a 360 acre tract that they can manage specifically that they can do? I, I know I've always said, you know, I feel like my dollars best utilized by organizations that know more than I do and can do more with my dollar than I can do. But is there anything that they could do or I could do, say, if we didn't have our, you know, our own track of land to, to manage specifically that, um, you know, there's any type of uh, resource or something that we could kind of go through to, uh, to, to help out with our hands, you know, volunteer or anything like that. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's always opportunities to engage and, and to, to work with your state wildlife agencies to work, work back through us. There's, you know, habitat days. Um, and, you know, depending on parts of the country you're in, we've got opportunities for us to do cleanups. Uh, we've actually gone out and planted trees before on state wildlife management areas. 
uh, before uh, you can clean up, um, you know, and, and just kind of go through that process. You know, you want to get your hands dirty. I think there's always opportunities for us to, to find avenues to do so. Um, you know, we've got uh, U.S. Forest Service is a huge partner of ours. We work with them on a, you know, on a daily basis, really, on projects. So, you know, I think from that standpoint, it's, um, you know, to, to call call your state wildlife agency, um, you know, reach out to them. You know, there's probably wildlife management areas. They're tight on budget. They always need people to come yeah. out and help volunteer and help. Um, and so I think that's, that would be a great avenue. And, yeah, and just like Pete mentioned earlier, I think, and I've always been an advocate for this, the Dagum surveys, the, the data that they are basing these really big decisions on is uh is based off of folks that, that volunteer to, you know, say what they saw this year, say what they heard, say what they shot, where, all that good stuff. Um, I, I can't think of any reason not to. I don't, I, if you just don't have five minutes, I don't know anybody who just doesn't have five minutes um, to, to take these and they'll send them to you. They'll email them to you. You know, you don't have to go out of your way. So um, I, I don't, I didn't realize, I don't think until probably a few years ago that, oh, wow, the, the ones I've been ignoring is that's why they don't have, you know, the most sufficient um, data to base these decisions off of. And, you know, you talk to somebody uh, that, that works for one of these state agencies and they're like, yeah, it'd be nice to know, but only about 7% of people actually give a crap enough to, you know, help us out on just letting us know what they saw or what, what the numbers really are. Um, so it's kind of hard. I can yeah. see, you know, don't make life hard on the folks that are, you know, busting and trying to bring the wild turkey to its best potential. And, you know, that's one thing that I think takes very, well, very little effort, time, or money. Yeah, you know, Pete, Pete mentioned it. You know, many of our, many people get, you know, get a survey in the mail saying, hey, tell us what you're seeing. You know, are you seeing folks? Are you mm-hmm. seeing him? You know, tell us. And, and that information is critical for the state wildlife agencies to make the best decisions they can to maximize opportunities for hunters, you know? And so Pete was exactly right with him saying, man, go out. If you get that survey, fill it out and send it back to that state wildlife agency, you know, get, get them more information so they can, they can make better decisions and maximize opportunities while balancing the resource for all hunters, you know? And so helping out in that manner, man, that's, that's critical from that standpoint. Absolutely. Well, I'm not going to keep you all Pete, did you want to mention, I know we talked a little bit about as soon as you hopped on the phone, you were building a website and stuff like that. Is there anything you want to mention on that, Ian? Yeah. So, you know, it's, you mentioned, you know, people want to know where their dollars go and, and, you know, transparency is very important. I think that that's something that, uh, that the NWTF, uh, through recently launched website, you know, this is something that's going to become easier for people to get access to that information. You know, um, by visiting the website, nwtf.org, you'll be able to click on the buy the numbers page and scroll through state by state. I mean, first off, you'll be able to look at a map that just kind of shows you the acreage of, of what's being conserved and, and enhanced. But then if you pull down the drop down menu, select on your own state or even visit your own state uh, you know, state chapter website, you'll have access to that information that will then give you the nuts and bolts of what it is that you're actually looking for and tell you the projects that are going on, tell you the recently uh, completed projects. And so I think that that's something that's very important for people because again, they want to know 
you know, is anything going on in my area? And, and taking that to the next step, you talked about how, what are ways that people can get involved. If people know that there's things going on in their area, maybe it means that they join that chapter. Maybe they become that committee member that, that starts driving uh, more activities to, to get involved and go plant those trees because they know that there are things going on there. They want to, to try to help amplify those. So I think that, you know, taking advantage of the new NWTS.org is going to be something that's very important for people. And, uh, and, and again, really get a chance to see all the work that's been done um, in recent years. You know, Mark mentioned those, those massive numbers, more than 20 million acres. I think it's more than half a billion dollars uh, invested um, in conservation uh, and enhancements uh, totaled. Um, but even if you just look at, at the Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative, where the goals were uh, four, four million acres conserved or enhanced, uh, more than um, half a million acres opened new for, for new access. Uh, for hunting and outdoor recreation, and then then uh, recruiting or retaining um, an additional 1.5 million hunters. Um, I think that you see that we did all of those in under that 10-year period. I think that now being able to take a look at least at part of that and see where those happenings occurred is going to be good for people um, because we see that too often of, you know, hey, what's actually going on in my area? I see that you guys are doing work, but we want to see we want to see where it's happening right i I think we'll be able to show that a little bit better and and i do think there's just one more important thing to hit on and and mark can probably flesh this out a little bit more is you know we we do hear uh you know people talk about the the idea of recruiting and retaining hunters and how it may not be good for turkeys or or that you know we've already got too many turkey hunters on the landscape you know i i think mark could probably give the exact numbers but Turkey hunting, people that, that partake in turkey hunting is down um, when you look at the long term. Yeah, there, there may have been a bump with COVID as more people yeah. hit the woods during that time. But as far as the overall number of people hitting the woods, chasing birds, that number is lower than what it was, let's say, five to ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And so the amount of people that you have that care about that resource, like us turkey hunters do, is less. And so the idea that we all need to do more to help be there for that bird i think is is really important absolutely and then the the i don't want to call it few turkey hunters but it's a i feel like it is a much more concentrated niche of outdoors men and women and and to me will always be among the most passionate and um that's that's who you want on your side i think if you had to pick a you know, a sector of the outdoors. I know a lot of people are multi-sectored and, uh, and kind of very versatile when it comes. They like to deer hunt as much as like duck hunt as much as like turkey hunt. But when you come down to those who really do care about the turkey, I feel like they are always going to be, you know, fewer by the numbers, but passionate overwhelmingly. So, and so the, you know, getting some, some more folks on our team, you know, as long as they're, you know, bringing along the same passions or learning the same passions or the, the, the fragileness of the resource of the wild turkey and, and, invest in the conservation of it long term i think it could be a you know it's the best thing you know that we could probably silver line the covid year with um if we can retain those you know higher numbers of hunters that also you know really put in the effort on conserving it and that's just uh, that's just more folks in your corner doing the right thing and i think that could be a it could it could be twisted into a bad thing if they don't if they if, if all the new recruited hunters you know aren't learning anything that's not out there for them to uh to gain knowledge on how 
fragile the resource is and how they might help strengthen it and grow it over time. Um, but I don't think, you know, with the the core group of turkey hunters and the, the outreach that folks like y'all have, that um, they're not going to be provided, you know, an opportunity. They're at least going to get a chance to learn more about the wild turkey and learn how they can help. And then I guess the choosing's up to them. But I think um, if they go a couple times, I think they're going to like it enough to want to keep doing it the rest of their life because I know I did from age seven to now. So um, really enjoy, you know, getting to hear a little bit more about some of the, the bigger projects y'all have and, and even down to the smaller projects so but guys i really appreciate y'all hopping on and, and kind of filling us in on some stuff y'all got going on and i know I'm, I'm really looking forward to that website i think that is much needed man that's gonna be awesome um the, the fact that i didn't know that and was asking the questions that it's answering is so i mean that's very coincidental right there but um but that's proving the pudding that you know that's questions that real folks have that's you know genuine questions i had and um, the fact that there's going to be, you know, a resource to go out there and, and, and kind of see what's going on and how you might can help. And I'm sure there's a lot of other folks in my shoes that um, that they're just looking ways to help. And that's uh, something that I think y'all are doing among many that are going to be beneficial for the wild turkey, uh, you know, over time as well as the short term. Well, definitely people should keep, keep an eye on NWTF social channels over the coming weeks. We're in the middle of a series right now detailing the seven projects that Mark uh, brought up, you know, on that $360,000 investment in research. Um, so we're, we're, we're covering those in a little bit more in-depth look um, to where people can learn about them. But then again, it's also just just the time to follow along and, and be engaged with that turkey hunting audience. Because I think the more that you, that you become a part of that, that passionate group of people that, that support groups like the NWTF, the more it becomes learned behavior of, Hey, here's, here's the way that to help respect that resource. And, and then, you know, honestly, you know, when we look at what we spend as a turkey hunter um, over the course of a season, whether it's the shells or, uh, or the, the money traveling or, you know, the, the new set of camo or whatever it might be, you know, to become a member of the NWTF and know that you can get a return on your investment long term, and we're putting it with match dollars. Thirty-five bucks is a drop in the bucket of what you might spend, and it's it's something that helps help help conserve that resource for years to come, to where you do get to enjoy that turkey hunting that you love. So, mm-hmm. I'd encourage anybody out there that does care about turkeys to become a member. Uh, let us maximize your dollar and and try to help put efforts back on the ground to, to make sure that resources around for everybody. Absolutely. Mr. Mark, we appreciate you coming on as well and just giving us a good rundown on some very valuable habitat tips and, and insight and, and kind of explanations more than anything. Um, just some stuff that y'all got going on. It sounds like you're uh, directing the conservation quite well. Well, I just, Honestly, just try to stay out of their way and let them do the work. We've got a lot of great staff, great partners, and mandates. Proud to be able to talk about what they're doing. Man, yeah. Well, again, we appreciate y'all. And, and if y'all need anything, y'all give us a holler. And we encourage everybody to go check out what the NWTS got going on. Check out the, the new website and everything and all the bells and whistles that come with it and all the things that will be unlocking soon. And, um, there's there's so much going on. Just follow follow them on socials and stuff like that, and I promise you, you ain't gonna miss nothing. Um, but uh, but but nonetheless, we appreciate y'all listening. We appreciate y'all joining us, and we'll see you next week. 
Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Spring Legion Podcast. If you enjoy the show, let us know by leaving a good review or simply sharing an episode with your friends and family. We'd like to thank Rolling Thunder Game Calls and Light Boots for making this podcast possible. Rolling Thunder's hand-tuned waterfowl and turkey calls are crafted right here in the U.S. by folks who enjoy the outdoors as much as any. Check them out at RollingThunderGameCalls.com or catch an episode of the Rolling Thunder film series on the Masio Go app. Light Boots' seamless one-piece design completely eliminates the chance of leaking, with a size 10 boot only weighing 13 ounces. Learn more about the lightest 16-inch waterproof boot on the market at lightboots.com. Most of all, we want to thank you, our listeners, for making the show worthwhile. If you'd like to learn more about the brand, check us out at springlegion.com or follow at springlegion on any social network. Thanks again for listening to the Spring Legion Podcast. We'll see you next week.